is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. And a very good afternoon. Welcome to the New South Wales Country Hour. Michael Condon here with you and we're broadcasting today not from a farm, we're broadcasting from Warwick Farm just across from the race course because uh, there's a summit being held, a fresh care summit, uh, which has uh, got about 120 attendees at, at the moment and um, pretty interesting program looking at a range of, well, opportunities and challenges and uh, issues uh, that uh, are facing uh, those people involved in fresh produce particularly or maybe in the wine industry, looking at supply chain issues and uh, also technology as well. One, quite a few of the speakers talking about some of the challenges there some of the opportunities with technology and uh, not to be scared of them in the agribusiness space and um, I'm joined now by uh, chairperson of uh, Fresh Care Alan Dahl he's joined me good afternoon good afternoon how are you today very well indeed now um, it, it, in terms of the uh, program pretty packed program and I would say lots of issues uh, looking overseas I suppose you know, uh, let's talk about that first of all I mean sort of getting some lessons from overseas and maybe trying to bring them back and learning from them here in Australia. We're really fortunate to have here guests not just from around Australia and delegates from uh, most of the regions around Australia but we've also got people here from the US and and Europe as well giving us insights into what's going on around the world. Um, Talking about empowering growers, their social license, their right to farm, the tech and innovation that's happening globally uh, that could be implemented here in Australia, emerging export markets and really um, we're hearing a lot today and yesterday about ESG and sustainability and how that might look for the horticulture and wine sectors. Yeah, um, that that does seem to be uh, something that uh, growers particularly uh, are worried about and realise they have to be worried about because it's it's sort of coming back from the consumer, isn't it? It really is, and we heard a lot about uh, consumer trust yesterday and and trust marks and how we can see that importance for consumers to be able to see on the shelf what's what's happening with their product and really believe uh, what they're seeing and and trust that information. And that that needs to be underpinned by assurance, and that's why we're here today talking about uh, what we can do as an industry and and deliver up so that people can actually understand what underpins those marks on those packs that uh, they're seeing on the shelf. Yeah, and we're also talking one of the... We'll talk to one of the speakers later on in the program about supply chain issues, but, I mean, that was really borne out by COVID, and that's something that people really now they've got a focus on that because they know they have to because anything could happen. Look, and and I think that's really important. We're we're very fortunate here in Australia that we have a very secure food supply chain with with most of our product uh, produced here domestically by great Australian growers from around the country. Well, for us, but, I mean, it's hard to get it exported, though, sometimes. And, 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 look, this is absolutely the problem. You looked at that reduction in aircraft volumes and and the challenges getting our exports on those planes and out to the countries where they really do love our really good quality safe Australian product. Mm, That's right and technology too and I guess the accent from that was don't be scared it's a tool you can use to really improve productivity. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think we're all time poor and, and we have a lot of respect for the farmers that are out there doing their 80, 90 hour weeks in the ute driving around looking at their crops. But we really heard today about the technology that drones uh, can introduce and, and really take away. Um, I heard about one grower that was out um, at the beach on the Sunday instead of in the ute driving around looking at his vineyard because the drones had done it for him. And I think that's a really great outcome. Mm, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Like you say about being time poor, but also uh, they're saying that some of the outcomes can be better than um, the than just relying on the human beings. 
Well, yeah, let, let's talk about going and counting how many vines you've got in, in a five-hectare plot. Um, I think you can, you can do it much more accurately if the robot's doing it for you and giving you those accurate numbers to come back. Um, and, and as they say, you can then do it repeatedly and, and continue to track that over a period of time and get really accurate information that enables you to make better decisions. What, and what's the feedback been from the delegates that you've been getting? I'm actually really impressed with the quality of the speakers and I know that uh, the delegate feedback that I've heard while I've been here over the last couple of days has been really positive about the the breadth and depth of the information they're hearing and not getting down in the nitty-gritty about how many CFUs per gram there is in a a microbial outbreak but more about the long-term sustainable themes that they can embrace in their businesses and take back and and really action. Okay, well, uh, appreciate your time and uh, giving us a bit of a rundown there uh, of the Fresh Care Summit. Uh, Alan Dahl, thanks for your time on the Country Hour today. Thank you. It's coming up to 11 minutes past 12. On ABC Radio New South Wales, this is the New South Wales Country Hour. We're here today at the Fresh Care Summit and uh, really interesting to hear, uh, you know, some of the big picture things that people are talking about in this space and, and, and one of them is this issue of AI and also, you know, what consumers are thinking and, and just generally about, you know, what trends there are in, you know, for consumers and, and to the future and things like that. Um, joined now by Alexander Bratnova from the CSIRO and mega trends. I mean, there's, I suppose the message from your talk was really that there's lots of things on the horizon that are going to mean some pretty massive changes in the future, not too far away. No, not at all. We're actually living and breathing those changes uh, as, as we speak. So that's nothing new, but the megatrends concept uh, itself is actually a way to systemize those trends, to put them together to better understand what is said already for our future. And the megatrends report that I've been um, talking about today is looking at the nearest 20 years of changes. And a big change and a big trend that we see coming or it's actually came already is associated with AI and other autonomous technologies and that's automation of transport, that's automation of um, agriculture sector, manufacturing and everywhere down to our everyday lives. So we arguably talking about this year as being um, the year of AI. We haven't seen anything uh, like ChatGPT before in terms of the adoption of uh, the technologies. So ChatGPT has got 100 million users in just two months since its public launch. So it took Instagram two years to get to this level. It took TikTok uh, nine months to get to this level. And so ChatGPT has been incredible and uh, it's, 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 an, it's amazing technology, but the that it's just the tip of an iceberg of what's gonna, uh, what we are going to see in the next decade or even the next week. So what, I mean, we're hearing a lot of people are, you know, scared of it. They're, they're worried about it. They're worried it's going to take people's jobs and those, those, those sorts of things. But you're saying people should think about it more as a tool. Yes, and something that is uh, or has the capability to uh, help us go through and, and, uh, and manage and mitigate and get over the productivity slump that Australian economy along with the economies of many other developed countries is facing uh, these days and it's been facing for the last five to ten years. So this is something that can really help us boost our productivity and get us more time to play, learn 
and to live our lives. The beauty of yeah, the beauty of the technology it's uh, it's still in making, so we don't really know what's going to uh, head to, and there's definitely a lot of scary parts of it, of it, and scary um, like challenges that is uh, that are ahead of us. But the the strength of the humanity and us as as um, as a species is that we are very agile. So we've been through the changes before. We've uh, adopted electricity. It's been as scary as it. We've adopted cars. It's been as scary as this. So we will adopt, mitigate, and benefit from it. Yeah, and it seems that uh, artificial intelligence, the, the idea is you need, to have, you need to have a bit of a brain's trust. You need to have, you know, use that, uh, that human input, the individual input, the creativity. It, uh, it's just that the, the computer technology maybe can uh, make some of that a bit faster and, make, makes, uh, and uh, assist in uh, the speed at which uh, some of those ideas can be developed. Yeah, so exactly. I'm, I totally agree with with your point. So it can actually help us do things that we do way better and very more efficiently. Think about health diagnostics. A person uh, behind the screen doing a scan of another person can actually uh, recognize the, uh, a s- small amount of uh, of issues, like a large amount for an average person, but a small amount campaign, compla- com- comparing to what computer can do. So if a um, doctor has been through like thousands of scanned images in his um, training, AI can go through millions of those images and can actually not replace the doctor, but can facilitate, help, improve move the doctor to a new field where he doesn't have to go through the technical part of it, but he can actually make decisions and help people more effectively, better, and more cost-effectively as well. So lots of opportunities are there with AI in agricultural sector as well. Drones for precision agriculture, for crops monitoring, for um, better efficient use of resources, including water. So it's all set to be used, and, but it's still way ahead of us. Mm. Now, the other thing too, like I was just thinking other applications too, you mentioned some of those here, precision agriculture, drones and productivity, but also things like um, checking to see for disease or maybe even in biosecurity. You know, that can really make a, a massive difference when you've got thousands of travellers on a plane coming to Australia. You know, maybe a bit of computer uh, chat GPT AI assistance there. Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing uh, an integration of human abilities, technologies, best technologies, and the, the needs of society be merged together. Like there's um, one piece of technology that I was very um, impressed by. It's called Rapid Aim that has been developed by CSIRO with colleagues from different industries. It actually helps to detect the fruit flies which has been done manually before. It's way more efficient and it's a beautiful combination of the top of the knowledge on, of the research and the, the need, the actual need of the industry, the biosecurity of the industry. Fruit flies has been damaging for crops and for fruits in particular. So this technology is a com- beautiful combination of AI sensors, Internet of Things, and uh, like a hardware part of it. So it can 
make the life and it's already making the life way better for growers as well as consumers. And I was also thinking about climate change and so you might be able to, it may be possible to use AI to sort of to assist in, okay, uh, this is the climate we're facing, this, these are the, some of the projections, this is what we've seen this year, you know, what crops should we be going, what optimum opportunities do we have, you know, should we uh, put wheat, barley, chickpeas, you know, maybe gives growers with that have obviously a lot of knowledge themselves but just assisting them at that in that sort of decision making maybe yes definitely so there's heaps of data that is already collect- collected and it's already being used but it's way more to learn from the data to collect the data the climate science has moved away a uh, big away from where it was 10 years ago and it's it's constantly improving a big part of it is actually use the um the use of data for insurance purposes and insurance companies way um because their risk is their business and it's their core um problem if you want so uh, access to data use of data prediction of the events is something that they can benefit from and so the whole industry would i've been talking to uh, the insurance um, companies a couple of like a month ago at, at, the, at the conference and they were showing an impressive um, solutions for um, event like post event mitigation so that was actually talking about the hail so they were showing like this really high big size hail that hit a big area of Queensland a year or two ago and they were using data and drones and sensors on the ground to spot the, the, the areas which needed the help the most so for the emergency purposes and for the insurance purposes it really is something that can actually help quicker and more effective response to the events what about consumers they seem to be uh worried about a few things with ai they seem to be you know whether they can trust it and you know whether it's reliable and and like you say some of those ethical considerations you know whether or not companies will will use it in a sort of you know in a, in a negative way or or an exploitative way uh, is that something that we need to keep an eye on Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There is a um, there is a momentum building up now for the for the AI regulation. You would see it everywhere, and that's a big, big, big concern for decision makers as well as companies as well as consumers. So we are all in the same boat. We are all learning it as we go. So there is no answers that are available now. But as long as we are heading towards a responsible and ethical AI, we are on a safe way. You're listening to The Country Hour. That was Alexandria Bratanova, who is uh, with CSIRO and uh, looking at uh, some of those technologies there and uh, staying with that theme, that theme of technology and assisting with uh, fresh produce and the wine industry as well. I'm joined now by uh, Andy Chambers, who's the Managing Director of Airborne Logic, uh, just one of the key speakers here uh, at the conference. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Country Hour. Thank you, Michael. Now, you were talking, we were talking there sort of big picture stuff with uh, Dr. Bratnova from CSIRO, but you're actually on the ground with the technology, um, and uh, I suppose, where, why did you decide to get involved in this field in the first place? You obviously saw it was a niche that could be, you know, a big, a big opportunity. 
I definitely, you know, we came from a background of sustainability consulting and uh, working with cities and local government to find heat island impacts in our cities. You know, how livable were our cities going to be? How do we cool our cities? And we knew that that uh, technology we were using with infrared and uh, and thermal imagery and so forth was transferable into the agricultural market. We already had really great farmers that we were working with, and you know, that's pretty much all Australian farmers are great farmers. You know, they they, they are custom custodians of the land they know what they want to do they know how to achieve that and like many of us they're just struggling with time and so we knew that tech was going to be able to help them with ways to improve their life and improve their 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 produce and improve the timeliness around responding to to really difficult markets so um, yeah that tech on the ground is is looking at how we get to a point where we can give big information out of imagery and data uh, and help decision making on the ground and testing that continually with growers. And I guess how much of it was sort of saying to growers, you know, uh, embrace the technology, don't be scared of it? Yeah, I mean, really, really interesting observation, Michael, because uh, we tested heavily with growers that uh, we knew, uh, including getting feedback that that wasn't a great product. You need to go back and test it again. And so we learned from that. And that honesty is just so valuable in developing uh, a product where you can go back freely then and say, well, we have tested it. We've tested it with growers and we're responding to the things that you need to change, the actions you need to take on the ground, not, not some fancy technology that we've dreamed up that we think you might need but rather what how do we address your needs so what are you actually lo- using what technology are you, are you using it and then how are you using it so we're using uh, we're using a lot of drones, uh, and the reason we're using those is because we can get down to this intensely accurate imagery, uh, positionally accurate with uh, a range of GPS and satellite technologies, and we're using that then in a machine learning and AI framework where we can essentially use image recognition to have a look at that imagery and determine where the problems are. So we can find out where the water locking is, we can find out where the nutritional variability is, we can actually physically measure the plant area and have a look at the uniformity of distribution of those plants and the differences in the canopy and uh, essentially where the action uh, needs to be taken. And you can do this in a better way using the technology and using the computers than you could by um, just looking with uh, you know, the naked eye. That's right. You know, uh, I mean, we, we, we love to drive around and have a look at stuff out on the farm as well, but there's nothing better than being able to get that helicopter view over the top and essentially turn that into consistent data every time we go up in the same location and see that variability. You can't see that side on. Mm. And are you mainly in the wine industry, is that right? We cut our teeth in the wine industry. We're now more heavily uh, approaching the horticultural industry through vegetable growing and potatoes, uh, but also into carbon farming and, uh, uh, and biodiversity measurement as well. These are, these are critical aspects coming to landholders in Australia, huge opportunity for landholders in Australia. Mm, so this is what, so you're looking at sort of, by, by the sound of things, higher value crops, and, you, and so it's important you get it right because you know, you're talking about a lot of money. That's right, exactly. And uh, the more you, you can protect that crop, understand where the problems are, but also get those incremental gains on productivity, um, you, you're going to be in front. And mm. transparency for the market's just going to be massive into our overseas markets. 
and talking about the wine industry, they've had a tough few years, so you, you maybe don't have as many clients at the moment as you <laughs> as you might like. No, I mean it has been tough, but I think you know from uh, from toughness and ad- adversity, so to speak, uh, comes opportunity as well. And those growers who are now focusing heavily on quality uh, are looking for every way to make a gain, and uh, we're, we're seeing that now with uh, some of Australia's most well-known growers saying well we can use this technology to make those incremental gains mm. and it's so uh, but it sounds like it's not just incremental you can actually make quite a big difference by using uh some of this uh technology and by you know making projections and 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 doing it uh, in a you can probably save a lot of money and increase productivity quite a lot yeah look definitely um, we've seen growers who are essentially using this technology to make decisions about uh, removing and replanting for instance where do I start um, what sort of numbers help me understand where I can spend my hard-earned dollars on replanting and redevelopment um, well when you can count the plants individually you soon get a pretty clear idea of uh, which block you should start on mm, and and what's happening in that block and what's happening to the individual plants and maybe too much water or you need that's, more fertilizer right. or something I mean yeah. something Exactly, Exactly. so it's not only about productivity gains, it's all about cost savings. Um, But this issue about transparency and assurance, uh, which is what the conference is about, uh, obviously, today and yesterday. Mm. Andy, uh, fascinating, good luck with it. And uh, what's your tip on China, that uh, we'll see the tariffs reduced and we'll see a a boom for the wine industry soon? Well, I hope so, that's what we're hearing, and I think uh, that's going to open up opportunity for for people some more. And, um, yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed on that in in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Michael. Andy Chambers, who's the Managing Director of Airborne Logic. It's 26 minutes past 12. The New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. One of the other guest speakers here today at the Fresh Care uh, Summit uh, being held at Warwick Farm. We're looking at a whole range of issues, uh, opportunities, challenges, some of the emerging needs in fresh produce. Um, Lucy Gregg, who's uh, involved in uh, Ausveg, uh, has just returned from Europe and you've been looking at some of those issues that maybe Australian growers can learn from and maybe you know the also some consumer messages as well that are quite uh, not just unique to Europe but uh, quite useful for us here in Australia. Yes, Michael. Yes, we, we got back in October from two weeks uh, in, in Europe and the UK looking at compliance and commercial drivers to facilitate um, export trade. So um, we had 13 uh, vegetable industry representatives um, looking at compliance systems such as um, SEDEX, Global Gap, uh, Red Tractor, LEAF um, and also how they're being implemented in the UK and what potentially our growers would need to do if we were to export. But we also understand that the UK has influence over the retail sector right across the globe and we deal in Asia and the Middle East as well. So it it was looking at some of those emerging trends, um, consumer trends, retail trends, sustainability um, and uh, what growers are doing, particularly in the EU and UK, to meet those um, sustainability goals. Yeah, it's interesting because you were saying that uh, uh, one of the, there was a packaging issue. We'll come to that in a sec. But also um, uh, the customer, there's not the expectation that they'll get the perfect uh, vegetable, the perfect uh, piece of fruit, uh, and that would be heartening. Uh, in a way to a lot of Australian growers because they get very frustrated about the extremely high standard they're expected to produce. 
that was one of the things that, that really struck us when we were looking around all the supermarkets and we were in Spain, Netherlands and the UK is that the customer or the retail specifications for loose product were, were significantly lower uh, than we would see here in the Australian supermarkets. Now, the expectations um, that, re- that the consumer expects is something, you know, that the retailers set the benchmark for. So, um, you know, they were selling loose carrots, which, you know, wouldn't probably even meet our odd, you know, the, sort of a second-grade um, product. But, you know, the consumers um, were looking those at those at potentially more of a budget line as well. Um, because there is a move to try and get consumers to buy more loose product rather than packed product. Mm. And they, and they uh, eat and buy a lot more fruit and veg than we do here in Australia too. So there's another positive. We should be capitalising that and maybe increasing the, the sales here. Yeah, um, vegetable consumption in the UK in particular is, is, has been declining. Um, like in Australia, we, you know, we really struggle to, to get the recommended um, vegetable servings per day. Um, but they've been doing a lot of work in the UK. They've been joining with retailers and a lot of the packaging that we saw actually had, you know, this is one serve of, you know, if your celery, you know, have this celery and there's the one serve of vegetables a day or, or have this serve of carrot and there's two serves of vegetables. So it was really easy for the consumers to identify, well, I, if I have this, this and this, I'll get my five serves of vegetables. And recently, through their Peas Please campaign, there has actually been an increase in vegetable um, consumption in the UK. Okay, and uh, but I gather, you know, there's more uh, There's uh, more that can be done there and more that can be done here, here too and some of the other lessons. Maybe Europe's a bit better in terms of the vegetable consumption. Yeah, there's actually a wide variety of consumption in, in Europe. Um, some countries are really good and, mm. and over. Um, some of the Mediterranean Mediterranean countries, for instance, actually exceed five serves of veggies a day, and others um, are, you know, around the two, two and a half serves, um, which Australia is around that 2.5 serves of veggies a day when we should be up around five. Mm. So, and part of it's the packaged food, or, or it might be also this sort of quasi sort of restaurant delivery food. Yeah, well, recipe box is is also really big in the UK. Um, it, it's slightly gone down a little bit because that's probably a cost of living thing. Um, but I'm quite sure that that'll uptake again. But but um, you know, recipe box like HelloFresh um, is is really a significant mark part of the market over there. Mm. One of the other things you were a bit intrigued by packaging and saying that um, there's a lot of plastic involved in the packaging in Europe. We're sort of trying to move away from that here in in some sectors, uh, but uh, it's not all a, it's not all a bad news story though. There's some positives as well. Yeah, look, I think we have to be really careful when when we make um, throwaway statements like we, we should get rid of plastic um, packaging because um, in the UK the growers used to have. They had plastic packaging. They went, then went in, in some commodities to paper and cardboard packaging, and now they've actually converted back to plastic packaging. I mean, it's it. You have to look at um, whether the packaging is recycling, recyclable, but also the shelf life um, and the quality of the product. You know, reducing damage of product. Um, people often talk about the you know the plastic around 
continental cucumbers, for instance. But that's actually protecting a product. And then also minimising handling. So if something's in a packet, you're not actually handling it more and it brews so so you won't don't throw out as much yes so you have to weigh all of those things Mm. up in that you know how much waste Mm. um if if we got rid of all packaging um and And a lot of the plastic is recyclable too it is recyclable Mm. and all of the retailers in the uk have recycling projects um but we also know it's convenient to consumers even if you put lower price points of loose product we do know that the consumers um, still prefer the convenience of popping in and getting their salad mix, quite often a meal mix, so they'll get their salad with, with you know, an egg with protein or some fish or something like that. Um, and we, are, we do know that it's also encouraging vegetable consumption. So you just have to be really careful and mindful and make sure you embrace embrace the whole story and not just take parts of the story. Mm, so it sounds like a pretty interesting tour of Europe. Uh, Lucy Gregg from Ausfitch, thanks for that. Appreciate your time. Great. Thanks very much, Michael. It's coming up to 28 minutes to one and uh, it's time to get some news headlines now and uh, news headlines with Bernadette Clark. Good afternoon. G'day, Michael. Making headlines today. A New South Wales South Coast branch of the Labor Party has written to the Federal Labor Party and the Prime Minister, urging them to support a ceasefire in Gaza. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's own branch in his Inner West electorate of Grindler in Sydney has also supported a similar motion. Heat-related deaths could increase almost five-fold by the middle of the century, according to an international report by more than 100 researchers being released today. The Lancet Countdown on Health and Climate Change report estimates heat-related deaths in people aged over 65 have already increased by 85% over the past 30 years. Professor Ollie Jay from the University of Sydney worked on the report and says extreme heat caused more deaths than any other natural disasters in Australia. Water New South Wales is urging its customers to accurately estimate their water orders as drought looms at key regional dams. The total dam volume for regional New South Wales is at 87% capacity, with Burrinjuk Dam sitting at 88%, while Blowering is at 75 and for the first time in AFL history, the season will begin with an opening round. Four matches will be played in Queensland and New South Wales to kick off 2024, offering the first premiership points of the year. Sydney will play Melbourne at the SCG on March 7th and Brisbane will host Carlton at the Gabba the following night. The Suns take on Richmond at Carrara Stadium on the 9th, while GWS will host reigning Premier Collingwood. Round 1 will then begin the following week with a traditional Carlton-Richmond blockbuster at the MCG on March 14th and will consist of a full round of nine matches. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Bernadette. You're listening to the Country Hour. It's 25 to 1. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Time to get some uh, weather details from Chris Webb at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Hi, Michael. How are you going? Very well. So uh, uh, we're talking about this th- th- bit of thunderstorm activity. Are we seeing that yet? Uh, there's, oh, there's been some light uh, shower activity and maybe the odd storm passed through the northeast overnight and this morning, but nothing much in the gauges. It's going to be, yeah, mostly a fairly typical afternoon and early evening thunderstorm sort of day today, I think. Um, starting to see one or two cells kick off um, on the southern highlands. Uh, there's a there's a low-level trough sort of between the Hunter and the central north of the state, I suppose, 
and uh, there's, there's been no sort of as yet deep moisture come into the inland associated with that. Sorry, Michael, there's a fair bit of noise in the background there. Oh, um, well, I not sure what's going on. So oh, that's good. I'll, I'll blunder on. I think it might be just uh, the, uh, we're close to the airport here, and so. <laughs> but just just carry on. It's all good, Chris. It's all good. All right, all right. So we're thinking, yeah, some afternoon thunderstorms nearer the coast today, um, sort of about the eastern slopes of the ranges, and they'll move towards the coast. And it's, it's possible about sort of the northwest slopes and plains that we could see an isolated storm. Uh, about in the afternoon, but little if little if any rain associated with that, because as I said, there hasn't been any no, uh, moisture come down the back of the ranges as yet. Right. Uh, and uh, are we going to? Is it likely we might see storms and a bit of rain in most most of the state or particular areas? Well, today and tomorrow, it's it's sort of the eastern slopes of the ranges and the coast, and there could be some quite bad ones around, particularly in northern parts, uh, in the afternoons and evenings over the next couple of days. Um, but things get a bit more interesting over the weekend. Uh, or actually, there's a, a couple of points I'd like to make. There is a, a front going through on uh, the south- southeast tomorrow, so that should increase the shower activity about the south coast and ranges for a bit and central coast later. Um, and then that front contracts up to the northeast on Friday, so the showers just move up to the, the north coast and northern ranges. And as I said earlier, very little for the interior of New South Wales. But across the weekend, that changes up as an inland trough starts to develop, uh, mostly fine for Saturday. But, yeah, um, humid air is drawn down on the eastern side of the trough on Sunday and uh, expecting showers and storms across sort of maybe the northeastern half of New South Wales. So okay. uh, fair, particularly about of, this... Yeah, a fair bit. A fair bit of rain, particularly, you think? Particularly for the central north on Sunday, particularly later Sunday, based on the guidance, we might see pretty widespread 15 to 20 millimetres of rain for places like uh, Burke, Walgett, and even down as far as Dubbo by late Sunday. OK, then, so is uh, it storm yeah. activity? Are we talking a fair number of millimetres we might be looking at? Uh, it, it, it is storm activity, so there could be some spot locations that get a bit more than that on Sunday, but I think um, the showers will probably flatten out into a band of rain as well, and it looks as like it looks like it hangs around the eastern half of the state for Monday evening, so the western slopes and plains districts right north to south look like getting another pretty widespread 15 to 20 millimetres. There might be a few locations that miss out Sunday and Monday, but yeah, it looks like it'll be pretty widespread shower um, and thunderstorm activity on those days. And look, on, based on the guides, there could be some spot locations that, or some areas that get 30 to 50 millimetres on the Monday. It's a long way out. I can, you know, perhaps it's a bit too far away to talk in um, specifics, but just to give an, an idea, it looks like a fairly decent um, period of showers and storms Sunday, Monday this stage it looks as though a little coastal trough develops and the weather contracts to the coast on Tuesday. Okay and you mentioned uh, so talking about the north of the state so uh, mid-north coast and some of those fire areas around Tenterfield they might get a dump of rain there to put any if there are any fires still burning they can put them all out? Yeah yeah it definitely looks that way um and I could see some big storms today and tomorrow in the neighbourhood. Of course, the storms will be isolated, hit and miss, but there will probably be some really quite severe storms up that way. There are, I think the, the area of concern more so for the RFS has been around uh, the northwest slopes and plains, sort of yeah, well good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It looks as though a couple of bad fire weather days to come before that rain comes in 
uh, over the weekend. So it looks as though we'll make extreme fire dangers through the northwest slopes and plains tomorrow, and there'll probably be a fire weather warning out. Um, the wind is expected to be... It's still pretty warm up there, 34 at mm. midday at Burke, probably get into yeah. the high 30s. I Similar think it was 37 at Walgett, and they were a bit worried about the weather conditions there for that fire. Yeah, yeah, the wind's, you know, fresh today, but it could blow quite strong tomorrow. So conditions potentially worsening tomorrow before things slowly get better over the following couple of days. Okay, which is also a reminder to uh, stay listening to ABC Local Radio for any changes to that fire at Walgett, which I think at the moment it's uh, it's uh, not at watch and act. I think it's uh, just advice level at the moment, but uh, stay listening to ABC Local Radio for any changes there. Uh, Chris Webb, thanks for that. Thanks, Michael. It's 20 minutes to one here on the Country Hour. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Now we're talking to one of the farmers who's here in attendance. Susan Daly is at Fawcett in Tasmania and uh, and, uh, involved in HS Fresh Farms. And uh, she joins me now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? Very well. Uh, and uh, I guess, so what have been some of the, uh, the uh, key messages that you've taken from the conference here today? or And yesterday too. So the big thing is, um, for the big takeaway has been about social um, licensing. Costa spoke um, last night from Gardening Australia about how we should actually invite people to the farm and show them what we're actually doing as farmers, that there's that disconnect between, um, you know, people understanding what actually farmers are doing on the farm and how hard it is to actually produce vegetables 52 weeks of the year. Mm, that's right. And and uh, with that, you've actually made a change away from potatoes to lettuce. And uh, tell us about that. Why did you make that change? Was it because it was, it was getting hard? Um, well, my husband still grows potatoes um, with with my children. Um, I just wanted a change, um, and I thought that growing potatoes was hard, but um, actually growing brassicas and lettuces and spinach is actually uh, twice as hard as growing potatoes. Right, so you wanted a change, but it made it a lot harder. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, we've got an amazing crew out on the farm, and um, we're going to actually get... Um, the younger generation um, schools to come out to the farm um, because they're the people that we need to engage for the future to get um, back to eating um, vegetables to appreciate when they are grown adults um, when they pick up a bag of spinach um, where it's actually come from and um, to try and um, recover that disconnect. Mm. And you I, I it doesn't sound like you have a lot of visitors to the farm now and you think that uh, you know you, it's something that t- could be taken on board quite easily and get people involved see what's happening see that you know it's not actually you know uh, it's a family run business it's not sort of like a, a production with a lot of fertilizer and a lot of uh, you know inputs like that uh, you know people don't realize maybe absolutely you know all farmers are trying to um, farm as um uh, economically as we can and and reduce um, our inputs so um, we um, as as a farm basically yeah want to try and introduce um, you know children to come back to the farm um, we actually had a group of children down at the potato farm um, and 
um, we got some comments back from the mothers that a couple of them actually slept with their bag of potatoes <laughs> that night because, you know, we just want to... They just love the idea so much. Absolutely. Mm. So, you know, because um, they don't they don't always get to understand where their food is actually coming from and we want people to understand and to to know you know i watched the girls crawling along behind the planter on their hands and knees um, and they do that all day every day and it's not easy work mm. so there's a lot goes into growing lettuce and spinach and at times we're up against um, you know the weather and when you're doing it 52 weeks of the year it's actually a tough gig mm. so uh, you, you found so moving into the lettuce or the, and then brassicas as well was it also um, more demands from the consumer uh, it was, is that part of the problem as well Yes, so you know we've got certain specifications that we have to um, adhere to, but unfortunately we're always um, up against the weather. And um, you know last year was a very very wet year. This year we've had a very um, dry winter, so the farms actually performed really really well. But you, you're just all the time looking at what what's coming at you in um, the week um, in a, ahead. And you can't always, you can't stop the rain. Mm. So that's just how it is. So this year has been better though, and uh, for uh, the potatoes and for the and for the lettuce as abs- well. Absolutely, T- um, Tasmania, and especially where we farm, um, we've got surety of water. Our water is very good quality water. Our climate is actually um, quite good in Tasmania, and that's one of our key um, two successes. And we're about to have an audit in um, two weeks' time. So coming to this. Fresh Care Conference was um, very timely because we're actually going to, um, for the first time, um, be um, audited on our environmental side, um, which we um, strongly adhere to on the farm, um, the practice of... um, looking after our farm for the future. Yeah, and so sustainability, obviously a key accent for you and and generally for the farming community these days. It's something people really have an, you know, have an eye on. Absolutely. You know, we all want that farm to be there for future generations and um, it's just, um, it just goes hand in hand of what we're actually doing. Mm. You mentioned there about the, the kids and maybe they don't know. I mean, that's, that's one thing that you, you notice now. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, I remember that uh, I had relatives that had farms and we used to visit our relatives on farms, but much they, people don't tend to have that direct connection to that anymore, do they? No, they don't. You know, they, the, they just go to the supermarket and, and they get it off the shelf, but they've got no idea of the work that's gone in um, to, you know, cutting that lettuce, um, getting it to the factory, proce- processing it, etc., etc. And what it, and what it, you've had to go to in, in terms of the climate, the rain, and whatever to get it to the quality to to get it at the supermarket as well. Yeah, absolutely, and understanding that you know on the farm, um, you know there's bugs there, there's frogs there, and and sometimes you know they that we've got to look after after the environment because that's where they actually live as well and mm. so how we manage that and how we actually harvest so you like to have them there but you curse them at the same time <laughs> absolutely mm. you know i'm having problems with ducks at the moment so 
Um, the first thing I do when I get to the farm every morning is um, drive down to the waterhole and, and beep the horn to make sure um, get rid that of the they ducks. fly away. <laughs> <laughs> Might be duck soup at your place. Yeah, in the absolutely. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, Susan Daly, uh, thanks for joining us on the Country Hour today. Appreciate your time. Thanks very much. It's uh, 13 to 1. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. And uh, I'm joined now to uh, talk about blueberries and uh, also uh, some of those issues that we were talking about just there with Susan about social licence, Susan Daly about social licence and on the farm. Shannon Kirsten's from Oz Group and based on the Mid North Coast. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Country Hour. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about this issue of, um, first of all, quality assurance and the weather because we were just talking with Susan oh, about yes. that. Now, you uh, you would have been through the ringer at, uh, in terms of blueberries blueberries in the last few years. Oh, you have no idea. No. First we've had the fires, then we had the floods that just wiped out a whole bunch of growers, and now we're having to go through the start of a drought, so it's not been easy, Mm. definitely not, and, you know, we've got water restrictions and water licenses to obtain, and I really think it's going to affect our industry this time. Mm. You know, we always manage to bounce back, but I do think this year's, or this time, is going to be a hard one. So the water license issue, that's that's those changes that we've seen recently, that's going to impact, like, uh, from 30% to 10%? Yes, and there's a lot of farms that are huge, and unfortunately, because we're in between all the community, there's not much space to expand, so they either have to close down and farm and move further north or south or rethink the whole process so it has made a huge impact for sure so having that reduction that will reduce productivity that will reduce Reduce the capability spraying the whole thing it Mm. will reduce our productivity definitely Mm. now in in terms of the weather like you mentioned we mentioned hail we mentioned uh, fire also flooding Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I I guess it was it would have been a point that we would have thinking what's what's happening what's going to happen next (laughs) felt like the end of the world at mm. one point with all the rain and then the hail. Completely forgot about the hail, but that was a huge damage. I mean, a lot of the crops were completely wiped out. Mm. And in terms of bouncing back from that too, must be difficult. I, I mean, mean we, yeah, we tried our best as a cooperative. Thankfully, we are a cooperative that we can help our growers. We we tried our best. We tried to help out, go out to the farm, see what we can do. We provided them with vouchers just for you know to help feed the families because that is the income and it's completely gone. So mm. we tried our best, and we are bouncing back slowly but surely. Um, Unfortunately, it's taking a lot longer than we realised. Now, so Oz, just how big as a cooperative are you? How many growers are involved in Oz Group? Ah, oh, well, um, in 2000, we started with just four families, and now we've grown to 145 grower members. So, huge change. Mm. <laughs> yep. Mm. And is it because the area is suited to the to the to, to growing the blueberries mainly? Yes, it is. Um, I mean, originally it was the banana industry, and that there was a huge decline in the amount of bananas produced and that's where the four families decided let's grow blueberries because it's the perfect climate mm. it's got the chilling factor that it needs to set the blues in and then it's got the good summer weather and probably you know price per kilogram a lot better definitely mm. Mm. Uh, now i wanted to talk about social license too because that's something as well we were just talking with susan daly about now blueberries that has been an issue uh, mainly because of the proximity, the population growth where you are on the mid-north coast. So obviously that's something that's right up there for your, your group as well. Oh yes, it's, it's quite a challenge. And, and unfortunately a lot of the community don't actually understand farming practices. I was chatting with Jane, the Fresh Care um, CEO, and we were chatting about one example where 
one of our growers was, was spraying at three in the morning and the community went around and they said, oh, they're spraying, they're spraying illegal chemicals. But that was not the case. What had happened was he was spraying early in the morning because he didn't want to harm his bees because at the moment we're going through feromite. So mm. that's affected our pollination. And unfortunately, we're not communicating all of that across to all of our communities. And your neighbor's literally a household, not necessarily a blueberry grower. So we're really in the middle of it all. Mm. And I guess uh, often spraying in early in the morning, there's not as much wind. And, exactly, you know, that, it's and perfect conditions. Perfect conditions yep. and generally, and that's, it's not being secretive, it's just exactly. this, it's the most, uh, it's the prime, prime time. time to do yes. it. Yeah. But I guess, and also, have you seen an increase in the number of people, the neighbours? I mean, are there more people oh, on per hectare? It's growing insanely. Yeah. And now we've got the bypass coming through. So we've got more, we've got a huge population. We've got about 75,000 in Coffs Harbour. And yeah, Yes, majority of them are growing around the blueberry farms. And now with the bypass coming in, people are relocating. So they are purely surrounded by community. And they're doing it to people moving, what, to acreages for the yes. lifestyle block type thing? Oh, yeah. Everyone wants the farming dream where they get to have the kids running on acreage. And the only way to do that is just to go further in where all the blueberry growers are. Mm. But don't they understand that the blueberry growers have been there for a while or, or farms have been there for a while? I think that's where the social license comes in. I feel like all community feel like they've got the right when, yes, the blueberry growers were there before. So I think it's a case of just balancing on what everyone needs and everyone wants. Well, how do you do that? What, how do you have that conversation with them? I think we've got to get it as a community and actually have a conversation and see where we can go and progress. Mm. Have you been doing that, like, like maybe a town hall meeting and get down... Have, Look, we, have a bit of a chat. <laughs> we've got growers meetings that we hold on a monthly basis where we discuss these kind of things. And I definitely think after this conference, I've been empowered to you know, come up and sit with the board and the growers and discuss how can we enforce our community to see how we can progress further as a cooperative and you know make everyone happy yeah because i mean the uh you know the uh making jobs available the uh the, the economic multiplier effect oh, exactly it's huge from the farms as definitely. well yeah so it helps the community too yes yeah. mm. definitely yeah I uh, appreciate your time on the Country Hour. Oh, thank Thanks you for so that. much, Michael. You're listening to the Country Hour. That was uh, Shannon Kirsten, who's with Oz Group in the Mid-North Coast. It's time for markets. First up, let's go to Lismore Cattle and Doug Robson. Numbers more than doubled for a yarding of 1,020 head, consisting of a good supply of young cattle and 350 cows. Quality improved with several lines of well-finished and well-bred weaners through the sale. Rain over the last few weeks kicked the market along, with three-stocker weaner steers selling 40 to 50 cents dearer, ranging from 212 to 316 cents. Restocker weaner heifers up to 60 cents dearer, 166 to 236. Fearless to process, 190 to 250 cents. Only a few yearlings, steers topped at 250 and heifers up to 270 cents. There were several pens of well-finished heavy bullocks and steers, and they sold from 215 to 248 cents. The good yarding of cows saw prices improved by 10 cents, and some of the plainer cows up to 20 cents dearer. Two score cows, 137 to 190. Three score cows averaged 194, and heavy cows off from 194 to 215 cents. This is Doug Robson, Lismore. Let's go to Carcourt Sheep and Lambs, David Monk. 
Numbers are up by 700 for a yarding of 5,200 lambs. There were odd pins of wool finished trade weight lambs along with good numbers of light and new season lambs suitable for the restockers. There were limited numbers of heavyweight lambs and there were no merinos yarded. Trade weight new season lambs were 10 to 15 dearer, with a 20 to 24 kilogram lamb selling from 71 to 128 to average between 480 and 525 cents a kilogram. Trade weight old lambs were also dearer selling from 48 to 112. Heavyweight lambs were 10 to 15 dearer with the old lambs over 24 kilograms selling from 110 to 156 while heavyweight new season lambs sold from 140 to 144 to average 540 cents. Lambs for the restockers were 4 to 9 dearer with the new season lambs selling from 10 to 78. Hoggets sold to 65. There were 2100 mostly good quality mutton yarder with most grades were 5 to 10 dearer. Merino ewes sold from 22 to 37 while crossbred ewes sold from 12 to 43. Merino weathers sold from 24 to 52. This is David Monk at CTLX for MLA. Let's go to cowrie sheep and lambs now and Rob Pearce. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Numbers fell by 1,800 to 3,000 lambs. Quality was very good for the short new seasons, along with some fresh woolly lines. And they were mainly trades penned a reduced number of heavies. Stores were well supplied. Medium and heavy trades were 6 to 9 dearer. 2022 kilos, 93 to 108. 22 to 24, 108 to 123, averaging 465 to 485 cents. Heavyweights were 2 to 5 dearer, 24 to 26, 118 to 125, 26 to 30, 130 to 139.80, averaging 480 to 490 cents. Stores sold from 24 to 86, up 3 to 8, and mutton numbers fell by 600 to 1300. Quality was fair, prices listed $3. Heavy merino used sold from 27 to 48, averaging 120 to 125. Heavy first cross used sold from 32 to 48, averaging 120 to 130. You've been Rob here from MLA at Cara. Thanks for that, Rob. Let's go to Yash, Sheep and Lambs. Graham Richard. Good afternoon. Lamb numbers lifted to 12,100 and included 7,800 new season lambs. The lifting numbers came from stores and light trades. There was only a limited supply of fresh prime lambs with plenty drying in the skin and there were some lots with seeds. The market was dearer on the lighter weights and around 10 cheaper on the heavy trades with a drop in quality. Store lambs to 18 kilos sold from 32 to $78. Trades 22 to 24, 98 to 113 to average 460 cents. The 24 to 26, 102 to 112 or 420 cents on average. The heavies 26 to 30, 120 to 127 or 425 cents. Old lambs were firm to five cheaper. The trade 65 to 86. Heavyweights gained 10 on a very limited supply, 98 to 116. Hoggets lifted five to six and reached $70. Mutton numbers lifted. The quality was similar and prices $5 stronger. The medium weight used 16 to 32. Heavy crossbred used sold to $57. And Merinos 46 with weathers reaching $46 a head. And this has been Graham Richard. Let's go to Mossvale Cattle and David Kent. Good afternoon, Michael. Numbers increased by 200 for a total yarding of 861 good quality cattle. All categories were well supplied, including some good runs of well-finished yearlings to suit the trade, along with some good pens suiting the feedlot buyers. There were some outstanding lines of well-bred weaners returning the paddock, grown cattle were plentiful, and there were 62 cows. All the usual buyers were operating, along with some extra restocker interest, selling to a mostly dearer market. Prime Velas, 
reached 336 to average 240. Trade yielding steers, six better, 200 to 320. A single heifer to process made 330, with the rest averaging 214. Feeder steers improved 10, 160 to 238. Heifers to feed, price unchanged to average 180. There was strong competition from the restockers, resulting in dearer prices. Steers, 98 to 276. Heifers, 70 to 206. Heavy grown steers lifted six, 174 to 212. Grown heifers up fourth, 172 to 205. Cows, similar price, two and three scores, 130 to 160. Heavy prime cows, 165 to 182. The best heavyweight bull topped at 210 cents per kilo. This is David Kent at Mossvale for MLA. You've been listening to the Country Hour broadcasting from the Fresh Care Summit here at Warwick Farm, uh, looking at a range of issues, uh, opportunities, challenges, uh, some of the trends, uh, quality assurance, technology and the future as well. That, uh, that's just some of the issues and sustainability too on the farm uh, and the social licence, uh, some of those issues being discussed here at the conference. You've been listening to the Country Hour. It's heading up to news time and one o'clock. <laughs>